Aquí va un canto para abrir la conversación del día de hoy con Barnaby Anderson, que es un gran amigo, es una gran inspiración y es un ser que ha cambiado mi vida profundamente. Oh, I should be saying this in English. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing a song before admitting Barnaby to the room, which is an amazing friend, uh, a great friend, I, um, a, a being that has changed my life in so many ways and a real inspiration. Um, I'm gonna sing this song, which uh, is Um, you know, it's a traditional folklore song from Mexico, and I think it's very representative of when we have our mindset in the victimism place. <laughs> I still love uh, these kind of songs because we get to sing our suffering, and that's exactly um, transforming all of this into life. <clears throat> Todos me dicen el negro llorona, negro, pero cariñoso. Todos me dicen el negro llorona, negro, pero cariñoso. Soy como el chile verde llorona picante, pero sabroso. Yo soy como el chile verde llorona picante, pero sabroso. Ay, de mi llorona, llorona de azul celeste. Ay, de mi llorona, llorona, de azul celeste. Ayer maravilla fui a llorona y ahora ni sombra soy. Ayer maravilla fui a llorona y ahora ni sombra soy. Ay, de mi llorona, llorona, llévame al río. Ay, de mi llorona, llorona, llévame al río. Tapame con tu rebozo, llorona, porque me muero de frío. Tapame con tu rebozo, llorona, porque me muero de frío. Ah, ah. Welcome. This is the I Induce the Real Estate Sustainable Living Podcast. I am your host, Diana Llanos. This is my little cat that just jumped on the piano while I was singing. I think she doesn't like me singing. And we are Hop Kamal, of course. Um, today we have this very special guest, which is Barnaby Anderson. 
Barnaby has spent years developing blockchain and cryptocurrency solutions, acting as CEO of Block Alchemy, a blockchain, e-commerce, and digital design consulting firm. Being involved in all aspects of web, web technologies since their conception in the early 90s has made Barnaby a true pioneer in web development, e-commerce, branding, online marketing, and blockchain. As sought After international speaker, Barnaby has been involved, invited to speak on cryptocurrencies at Harvard uh, and the World Economic Forum, Davos, where he coordinated a blockchain digital asset conference, as well as Stanford University. I'm going to admit Barnaby. Welcome, Barnaby. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Wow. Yes. Welcome, Barnaby. I'm so yeah. honored and so happy to have you here. Uh, I just sang a song and my little cat jumped on the piano and it was super funny. <laughs> I think <laughs> she doesn't like me singing. <laughs> I wish you were here to see that. Um, uh, <laughs> you're going to hear that. <laughs> Don't that, worry. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> that was a perfect icebreaker for me, but um, I think you you need no icebreakers. I, I was seeing uh, most of your um, talks and wow, you're an amazing speaker. Uh, I really honor that, that presence, that inspiration and that way of... Uh, inviting us into your world and I think it's really <laughs> genius the way you you actually like get us like there in that place and that's how I met you actually mm. um, I remember you were just saying like one idea and I really like that really popped into my mind and I was like yeah of course like this man just changed my life you know like with three <laughs> words <laughs> I wow. remember we were talking about breastfeeding And um, how in Afri in some African cultures, uh, the mothers breastfeed for seven years and then these little kids get initiated and they go with their parents to get this initiation with their fathers. And mm. yeah, and from um, they never know if, if they're coming back or not, because the initiation mm. is a very hard process. And I remember you saying like, wow, um, If, if we learn to see humanity in that way, you know, like just detach and let go and just see the fact that our kids are going to live seven years and then if they come back, everything else is a gift. And I was like, wow, you know, like that just like broke my whole structure. I was suffering so much like in, oh, I don't want to leave the breastfeeding, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss so much my kid. And I think that's very needed actually like in today's world and it's funny because it has to do a lot with decentralization democratization and the whole power of the system and the whole business that you're creating right now and since like a lot of years ago which I think it's amazing uh, I see here you have like the band royalty.com <laughs> which I was seeing yesterday too that it's actually named after you and your uh, partner Nobel which is also amazing you know Barnaby Anderson and Nobel uh, can you pronounce his last name that I yeah Jacon. Nobel Jacon. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> it, it seems is. so easy, but if you see it written, like it's like, okay, how do I say that? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's tricky for sure. But that's yeah, great. Wow. You know, like this talks a lot about your, your, I don't know, I see it and I want to hear how you see it. Like, how do you feel what you're doing right now? Because this like talks a lot about, a, you know, like a whole purpose of life and a whole like accomplishment in your career. Mm. I want to hear from you, like, where do you feel in your, yeah, in your professional development right now and your personal development right now before we get into the the real well the business <laughs> <laughs> sure uh well I'm, i'm really excited um thanks for having me here today and it's great to talk about um you know what i'm doing and uh, the excitement that uh, how things are going in the world and the world of blockchain which is that's the area I, i work in and i'm very passionate about because i see a lot of potential to make a change in people's lives in many different areas And so, uh, and in, in this field, in this project I'm working on uh, that I've launched with Noble, it's to do with business. It's to do with um, the music business. So it's it's a fascinating area which most people don't know a lot about. Most people love music, but they don't know actually the business side of things. And uh, and, and Noble has been um, uh, he's been uh, teaching me a lot about that because he's been investing in um, music royalties for for decades actually. And so with my expertise in blockchain, that's how we we got together actually we've been developing a few projects together uh, but what really excites me about all of that is how to make um all of these sort of technologies uh, more available to people and because the world uh the world economies are changing and basically how people are dealing with money is changing and the and the value proposition is changing and so this is going to be affecting all types of industries uh in, including music and including um housing and societies and all all different areas and so it's just a and so i i guess because there's so much potential for change and, in, and improvement in systems where does one go where does one pick because you could pick anything to make a difference in and uh and i think that's what's what's really interesting is then inside of that um where, where is something that you can actually make a difference because while we could do anything it's not always uh clear what's actually going work um, and that's what we really need to focus on when you're asking me like what important things I always tell people is to the importance of succeeding it's like the importance of actually winning at something uh, to get a positive result because basically success is like a it's with Otherwise, um, you know, we get people can get um, demoralized or diminished or sad or, or whatever, or, or lose confidence. And it's really about that confidence. And so, um, with this project working um, with Noble, basically, there's already a whole lot. Of, not only that, but basically, um, while I find this, first, obviously, I'm excited about this. I find this idea quite quite genius because while everybody, um, not many people understand Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. They do not. They've heard of it these days, but they don't understand it. But they all understand music. And so that's what I like. I like taking something which people do understand and mixing it with something that they don't understand. And then when you merge those two together, I think that's where some magic can happen because you're actually going to be a bridge between the unknown and the known. And people need that. They need a bridge. And so I think um, around the world, music is one of the is probably one of the top uh, things that all people love. And it's a connector. It's a connector between people. 
um, that people want, they, they like to go and participate in concerts and listen to music and they like to move and dance. And, and it's a way for them to connect with the artists. And so they just love um, the musicians. And, and then so that makes them think, though, oh, okay, so what else is going on here? And so I think it can start to open up new worlds of possibility because that's really kind of what blockchain's about. It's about opening up uh, new avenues and uh, of revenue. And so what would happen if not only the, the, the musicians that you loved, that you went to listen and, and dance to their music and, and play along and all of that, but what if you could earn on the revenue as well that they're participating in or that they're generating? I think that's a fascinating thing for people to start to consider. Yeah, completely. And I want to, uh, there's so many things to ask you on, on the way, but okay, one thing that comes to my mind is what, Well, first of all, like, how do you see blockchain? I, like, how would you explain that? Because I think you're the best person to explain it. And I, I was actually thinking, you know, because I have like friends that are expert in experts also in cryptocurrencies and whatever that are going to hear these, this talk and friends that are not. And they're just like wondering, like, actually one, one friend of the broadcast yourself course, he was asking like, Hey, does anybody know somebody that can guide me? Like how to do a business with blockchain? You know? And I was like, I have the, the right person. Um, but how do you see that? And the other thing that you just mentioned is, okay. Yeah. So we're making business with the music of these artists, but what does the artist really get from this? And that's the two that I want to right now focus. Mm. So Okay, um, great. Well, maybe, so I'll go with the first one. You're asking about blockchain. What's an easy way for people to understand? Um, so really it's about the, the core word here is decentralization. And so, and even that is a new concept for people. So you have, because they haven't really thought about centralization, things being centralized. And so really um, all of society has been centralized, essentially. That's how it's a top-down structure. You have people in charge. And they're telling everybody else what to do, even though there's elections and et cetera. Um, and then there's the banks. And, but few people really understand how banks work with connections to the, to the economy and the, and the treasury of the government and big business. And it just seems like, you know, things are sort of taken care of. Uh, <clears throat> but we know that there's a lot of corruption in the world in pretty much most, most countries, if not all of them. And, and so this corruption happens behind closed doors. And one of the, key areas of corruption is around finance. In fact, one could maybe say that all corruption is hinged upon finance because that's actually what motivates the people to do the corrupt things. They want to get some more money. They, well, they want more power, but they use money and power together. And so what's amazing about uh, – so that's, that's what centralization is. And so what happens if you decentralize? How could you have structures that operated outside of a top-down control structure? That's a really interesting idea. And so uh, basically that's how um, blockchain came to be, was it came to be with this idea that you could actually start to open up and make and bring transparency into finance. And so once you have transparency into finance, that means you can view every transaction. People aren't able to hide them. That means the corruption is not as easy. And, uh, and so it's really – now there's a lot to that, but that's really one of the easiest things to do to talk about from it is like it, it's a way to have transparency in transactions so everybody can see what's going on. It, they call it a general ledger. It's a ledger of transactions that anybody can check and see. And so in every block on the chain is, is a group of transactions going through. And that's really, that's what it, what it actually means. And so, and that was first wow. invented with um, 
with Bitcoin back in 2009 when it first came out. It was the first implementation of that. And people have been trying to make that for decades, actually, and nobody thought it was possible. Uh, and so that was a huge breakthrough. And, and now it has ramifications on so many different industries, um, not only finance. What if you brought blockchain to elections? Imagine that. Imagine full transparency across elections. Now, most people, I don't know if it's most, but many people around the world have um, lost heart with the election process. They don't really trust that they're necessarily they're even um, the people coming forward and, and being voted in are, are the real representatives. Like, how do they know that the everything wasn't fudged? I mean, now that with all the recent elections that have been happening, um, many of the major ones in the world, people, they, they don't even agree with the results. Now, we could actually solve all of that with blockchain. It's a fascinating thing to consider. So I think there's a lot of um, areas that this could have a huge impact in society. But is there the willingness? You see, while the technology is there, uh, I think uh, people are – People, firstly, most people don't understand it, and therefore they don't realize what power could actually come to them. And that's an amazing thing to think about. It's like, wow, so we as the people could start to reclaim power in ways that have never before been possible, never before. And so this is uh, going to be potentially world transformation. Forming. We're actually just at the inception. This is just the beginning of this process uh, because this mm -hmm. new tech, this technology has been around for just a bit over a decade, about yeah. 12 years. And, and so inside of that, many things are possible. Now, then the, your next question was following on from that, like how does that apply but to musicians? To artists. Oh. Wait, because this is like super interesting because actually, yeah, you just said in the beginning of our talk, like everything's about uh, confidence or and then in one of your talks you were saying everything's about trust this is something that I actually agree with and you know that so how do we how do we teach or how we do we educate people to actually trust when we are creating something uh, that's reversing a process in which we don't trust mm -hmm. Great question. So basically, one of the key phrases that they also use all the time in blockchain is trustless. Trustless. It's very interesting. So it's the absence of needing to trust. So mm -hmm. because what people, why this is such an, it's a, it's a key phrase used all the time in blockchain and around this technology. It's a trustless network. So what does that mean? Well, it means that what, um, basically with any form of transaction, we always have to have trust in the transaction. And where do people um, where do people trust? Well, people basically, you know, like I have a, um, I have I have a. This is the this is the way that most people pay these days. Is like with a is with a, a debit card. They'll they use a debit card or a credit card. Now, they trust the bank, but the bank is centralized. And guess what? So what that really means is people are putting their money in a bank, which has been going on for centuries, and the bank keeps a ledger. They keep a ledger of everything that's going on. All the accounts, all the accounts are there, and. When you, when every time, and now they log online. They go online. That's how most people do, around the world do their banking. And they log in. They can see the transactions. And they trust in the bank because the bank is being regulated by the government to provide a good service. And the bank has shareholders. And they'll lose um, customers if they don't have a good ledger. If they start, um, you know, trying to steal little bits of money or do a bad job of the accounting or any of that. So. People have built up trust, and there are some banks that have more trust than others. And so in the financial realm of, um, of institutions, those that have the most trust, they have the most customers. 
Now, it doesn't take too much digging to have a look and see that there's actually been plenty of shady activities happening even in the highest level of banking around the world. You can start looking into this. There's, there's actually uh, a lot of fraud that's been going on. Now, how but people are left with, well, what, what else can I do? I, I kind of have to use the banks. All, all the stores that I go to, they use debit cards, the ATMs. In fact, what happens is that people are left with, with a feeling of no choice. They feel like they have to trust the bank. They have to trust the government. They don't feel that there is many other options. And so they, most people would be thinking, well, you know, if, they're, if they do the right thing, like, I don't know, 95% of the time, you know, like, or maybe 98% of the time, yeah. then they'll sort of forgive them. But, you know, even just 1% of doing the wrong thing on everybody all the time, that's <laughs> a lot of money. And so that, that and that's how they that's how they build their empires because they know that people will, will will kind of ignore that little one percent, but that can add up billions of people. And so the here's the here's the the real um, the the main point here of all of this is that uh, when you have a trustless system, you don't have to trust in the centralized authority. What you can trust in is the actual code of the network. With everybody actually having a decentralized network that they can watch and see the transactions. They don't have to trust in the centralized entity. They can trust in the transactions that everybody can check. Anybody can have a look at it. That means anybody can put their hand up and say, oh, that was wrong. Imagine if all the people in the world could have a look at the, uh, at the transactions of one of the major banks, like Citibank or, or whatever, or, um, they could, or everybody could see it. And if they see a mistake, oh, look, you made a mistake there. But that doesn't happen. All the transactions, everything happens behind closed doors. All the voter counting happens behind closed doors. And we're forced to trust um, who's counting, who's counting. And, and, and we don't even know. Do you even know the names and addresses of the people who are counting? No, we don't. So even the people who are counting, where's the trust in them? We don't know who they are. So if we can start to bring – and that's what's amazing about technology. Uh, everything really is a technology, even money itself. It's a technology. There was a time when there wasn't money and it was a new invention. And so what's happening is everything keeps evolving and potentially, hopefully, improving. So we keep innovating and bringing new types of technology, which what that does is it brings, uh, hopefully, more empowerment to people. It's really about empowerment. Now, I have a view that there's actually – there are vested interests who are not wanting to share power. They want to keep power, and they want to, what that means is they have a vested interest in disempowerment over other people, and that's why I'm passionate about what I do because I want to see how, what does it take to return power more to the people, and if we can do that, then we'll have a more honest, a more trusting society. It's interesting that we could build trust from trustless systems, so that's a long way to answer that. <laughs> yeah, no, and completely, I completely agree because, you know, I'm crazy about, like, all of these themes. I'm, I'm not going to be specific um me myself you know i was in the gifting economy and that was a very empowering um experience for me because actually it was like you have to trust yourself you have to trust your essence you have to trust life which is us and which is infinite and it's eternal and that's the the only actually unchangeable thing you know i mean it's gonna change but it's like not gonna never end right so what I see here is that, okay, we're talking about trustless, but it's trusting our, our own being, right? In, in mm -hmm. some kind of way. It's like centralizing uh, in ourselves instead of centralizing in an outer system. Is this what you're saying? Yes, because what, you're really, what we're doing is we're bringing empowerment to people to have the knowledge on what to check. 
First, we need to give people the means. You need to have access. If you don't have access, then there's no way to check anything. And so what that really means is first, people need to be empowered to have the knowledge on how to check things. Once people, and what that really, so that's really about how do I elevate my own knowledge so that I have the power to check. Now, once I have that, then I'm more empowered, which means I'm trusted because you get more empowered when you trust yourself more. And the only way to trust yourself more is to actually have real skills. You have to have real skills because if you don't have real skills, um, like even a simple thing, like let's say cooking, if you don't trust yourself to do um, to do a good job of cooking, you're going to burn everything or whatever. And so once you start to see confidence, and that's about confidence again. So you have to, it all comes back to having confidence in oneself, in the ability to, to check and, and uh, verify and be informed. And as we build that, um, that's bringing it back to oneself. So yes, you're right. That these are just different ways of saying the same thing, that we're bringing power back to ourselves so that we, uh, we become the, the nexus point of, of power. And then, it, but we want to do that for everyone. So everybody and, becomes that. Yeah. But, and us as leaders, what are we doing to actually not, I mean, we're going to commit mistakes. We cannot avoid that. And as you said, like we're evolving the systems, like even money, like it was these people like tr trying to do their best for what they thought it was good in, in their own moment, right? Like in their own present time. And we are doing the kind of the same, right? It's just the evolution. Um, So how are we, what, what are you, I'm going to ask you this uh, question directly to you, because um, how are you working with this? Like, what are the risks uh, or the responsibilities that we have by creating these, all these systems? Because people tend to trust, this is something people just do, you know, like they just trust. Okay, we say like, this is a great solution. Okay, yes, we trust it. And then For example, yesterday you were telling me like, this is going to be open right now and you can buy your, your NFTs of band royalty. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm having FOMO. And then I was seeing myself, you know, like all these like marketing strategies just create like all these anxiety in people and like, we want to run and buy it, you know, and we don't want to think twice. We just want to trust Barnaby and Barnaby saying, this is going to be good. I'm going to be a millionaire. I need to buy it now. Who do I ask the money to, you know, like... So what are you doing to, to actually change this? Because I think this is one of the main problems that has been happening with the systems that we are actually breaking through. Hmm. So what you're talking is about is really um, marketing tactics that motivate people to, to do something. And you're saying, how can we bring more integrity to that process? That's kind of... Yeah, like, how, yeah, yeah. How are we solving this? Because actually it's about this. It's about transferring knowledge real knowledge to people and not um, matter or material tools that are eventually going to change like money did and now blockchain like in 1000 years we're going to be using other systems that life has is is going to be is, is going to create you know so how do yeah Yeah, well, I guess just because you're asking me personally about that. So I guess what I always do is I, I have to personally work on projects where um, they have integrity. So basically there's a real, there's something real there. And so um, that's why, I, that's what I choose. And so therefore I will make a good job around telling everybody and saying, I have confidence in this because I'm building it and it does have integrity. And these are the reasons why. So, but because it's the marketplace is always so noisy, there's so much going on all the time. We do have to wave a flag and say, hey, have a look at this. Now, I'll then, on top of that, I'll share as much information as I can so somebody can go and do all their own due diligence to check everything. And that's me also 
um, trusting in them that they will be the one, they're an adult, to make up their own mind. And so because amongst all the the 10,000 options out there, this is one of them. And it's always going to be like that. But my job is to do a good job of making it clear, um, making all the information available, and then empowering them to to choose that. But at the same time, like obviously not not trying to force them or trick them into doing anything. It's really just about the empowerment process. And so, and I guess that's just kind of really how life is all the time. Life's all about um, offering things to people, and if one does a good job of it, it they're attractive. And if 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 it's not attractive, then people won't take it up. And so that's kind of the the process. And, and so I'm, I want to empower people for everybody to do that. Like I think, you know, but, but again, that comes back to skills. Most people, they're not, and, and confidence, they're not sure how to do that. And, and so in a way, when what I also feel is that when people see uh, a project like the, like the one I'm working on, like the ones I released to market, it could give them ideas like, oh, wow, look at that. I could do something like that because that's also meant to be an inspirational point that, you know, any of us, uh, at any time, we could we can start um, we can start things, and if we don't have the means to, then it's just looking at the gap. Where is the gap between where I am now and where I want to be, and who do I need to connect with, and what do I need to do? And, and so, now now in, in this project, basically, like you know, I, I personally like I, I don't know Beyonce or Justin Timberlake or any of these famous artists, um, but they're on this in, this amazing platform uh, that I've I've built uh, with Noble, and, and so and he doesn't know those amazing famous artists either but we through a process um we were actually able to buy their music because it was these it's what well, this is one of the things that people don't know like there were so many interesting assets for sale in the world and one of them are these um, music royalties and they've been hidden away from people it just so happens that because of our experience in buying them for decades so this is like um this is one of the things i guess that people could start to imagine for themselves it's like oh wow like i didn't know that there are all these opportunities in the world. And so what we're really doing is bringing an opportunity that was only really reserved kind of for the, the people on the in, on the know, on the inside. They were the ones who knew how to do this. We're democratizing it. It's like how can we democratize and bring such an opportunity of, of music, connecting to the music business, to everybody who might want to be a part of it. And so I think that's one of the beauties here is like to, to find new ways to bring more um, opportunities to more people in, in innovation and around fun, making it interesting and informative and they learn at the same time. Those are, That's what inspires me. Yeah, completely. And this is what inspires me too. And this is why I invited you to the show because I... This is this podcast is all about that. You already know that too, but um, it's about um, inspiring oneself. And actually that's where I see real uh, evolution, where I see people that before wouldn't open to democratize all this information or even the business or whatever. And now it's really happening in, in so many different areas. And I think this is like, we were talking with uh, Xavier Hawk from Firon. We were talking about uh, permaculture, life per permaculture and how we all like support each other or, you know, like put our little grain of salt <laughs> uh, through our own talents. And when we actually do this and we enjoy the process and we actually feel useful and we trust in ourselves and we are grateful for whatever we can offer, as you just said, um, I think that's that's really progress. That That's mm. decentralization uh, for real. And so... Uh, now going to the artist, like what is the artist winning from here? 
Well, because they've actually, um, in this particular version of what we're launching, this is the first version of this um, band royalty, the artists have already sold their music. So they've actually sold it. And so it's basically like um, just buying an asset that's, that's already available. And so uh, that, that's when they got their value. So they got their value when they sold it. It was like a once-off sale. They sold it, or maybe they sold it for X number of years. But as this platform grows, we're going to be, um, in the coming months, we're going to be enabling um musicians, artists to come to us and use this as a launch platform for their music. Because basically at the moment, uh, they often don't get a good deal with the royalties. And and so this is going to be a way for them to really reclaim their own power, ownership over their music and manage it in the way that they want to, potentially even having a, a more direct connection with their fans. That's actually what they could do here. They could actually, by putting their music with band royalty, they can actually have a, a direct relationship with their fans who want to participate at that level, at a higher level uh, around the actual music and, and the revenue that it's generating, which is a fascinating because that was never available before. So we're going to we see that that's actually empowering, very empowering for the musician and very empowering for their fans. And it's it's very new and nobody's really seen that before. So we're going to basically be bringing that and seeing does everybody like it? Do they want to do they want to work in this sort of way? Wow. So when you say these artists already sold uh, the rights, you mean when they did the contract with their own producer companies or? Well, but they, yes, they, they did. They did do that at the time when they made the music, but then they often, um, because it's actually a little bit complicated. There's quite a few different types of, of rights around the royalties. And um, there's this uh, sort of three or four main groups of them. And at any time, like basically, because it's an asset, Uh, like so a person who actually everybody knows is David Bowie and he was actually a, a leader in this particular area um I think it was around 2004 or something he decided he created what was called a Bowie bond and so he pre-sold his music he knew how much earnings his music had every year let's say I can't remember the exact amount so let's say it was 10 million dollars a year so he was able to pre-sell them for five years and everybody but what that meant was that people bought now and they got them so it was actually like he got a lump sum he got a big sum in one go instead of a little bit every year and that was obviously quite smart for him because that was at the tail end of his life so he actually got to benefit from all of that and um but that's what that's basically the the how it works is that they get a lump sum and um And then that's and that while other people get like the streaming, the small income every year from the songs being played, every time they're played, a little bit of revenue comes in. So you mean everything goes into a pool? Like now, mm. how's the system working with this? Like everybody gets a little share or whatever they buy. And then yes. every time somebody plays one song, Mm -hmm. uh, you you get money right as as investors. Yeah, so basically, there's some there's some major industry plays that go and collect it. They're, they've already been doing that for decades. They they have all their methods of finding every time it's played in even in a in a pub or a restaurant or a cafe or a movie theater or a movie on a, on a TV show. All of those times the song is played, it brings in this revenue. But then, like when more people comes into the pool. Uh, that can you explain a little bit about NFTs? Like what? Ah, How okay. does NFTs work before I get into this question? Great, good, good. So, um, well, NFTs has become the buzzword, like in the last couple of uh, last few months, actually. Before that, most people hadn't heard of it. They've actually been around, um, also not very long, but basically since the end of um, 2017, early 2018. So you could say a bit of around three over three years. It's a what it stands for is non fungible token. Now, again, um, this the main word there being fungible, and interestingly. 
This is not a word that most people um, know. Fungible. And so this is the key. And it's a very simple, we're, we're actually using it every day and we never know it. Fungible basically just means two items of value that are interchangeable. So uh, dollars or pesos uh, or, or gold or any of these um, things, they're basically fungible because they are the same. So that each each unit of account, so it's a unit of account that can be swapped for another one. So it's not what, what that means is basically if you have a dollar in your pocket and I have a dollar in my pocket, they're not special. It's not like, oh, this is my special dollar. No, they can just be interchanged. And that's what everybody loves about them, that there is nothing special. The power of the fungible is that it's not special. It's not even the gold coins. Like, you know, here's the thing, though. Unless a gold coin is a very old one. Now, that's that's interesting because then it be, and also maybe if there's a an old um, paper note of money. Now, that does become special because it's become rare. So when something becomes non-fungible is when it's rare. It's the rarity of it, whereas the power of the fungible is its ubiquity. It's everywhere. There's so many of them, and everybody's swapping them. They're just swapping, swapping, and, and nobody cares about any of the specific little special items because they're not special. So the, the non-fungible, so every painting, typically a painting as a piece of art, is non-fungible because, you know, like the Mona Lisa is the most famous painting in the world. It's non, it's, it's, there's only one, and that's what makes it special. And so, And basically all art is like that. And so this is a very interesting idea that there, there's, a, there's kind of these two economies in a way in the world, the fungible economy where everything is the same and swappable and the non-fungible where everything is unique. And so how do we – and so now, now it's a very interesting time because for the first time we're able to start to integrate these and basically connect them together and, uh, and basically bring empowerment around the non-fungible, which is going to have a huge benefit to artists of all different types in the world and even many other fields as well. But when you say rare, then you refer to unique. And that means like we're going to start crafting the economy. Is this a change? Uh, it could be, yes, because now anybody can. Um, well, there's always been a craft economy. So the thing is, people have always been making, you know, um, artisans have been making little art pieces and et cetera. Um, but now, because so much of our lives has moved digital, so it's kind of just, it's an innovation. This is a very new field. So people are beginning to look at it and wonder. They're just beginning to imagine, how could we apply this technology? How could we – because basically, it's again, it's an innovation around, around value. It's an innovation around value, which means – kind of mean it's a value, uh, an innovation around money. But then it's being applied to unique items. And what, mostly what is it artists, valued? What is it valued now that you're saying it's around value? But what is it that we value right now? What is it – What makes it unique? But it, it's up to the individuals. You know, like not everybody, uh, not everybody sees the art as the same or, or, or the unique item. So it, it actually, it's, it's got value to the person themselves. And, um, and, and that's, what's, that's what's different is that essentially, however, once something becomes famous, you see, when you add fame to uniqueness, then even if people don't particularly like that unique item, they'll still want to get it because they know other people want it. So they know that the value is there because even though they might not want to get it, that they may not personally like it, other people do. And so they'll get it and hold it knowing that other people will want to get it and then it'll have, a, it'll have an appreciation in value. So it's really about the item appreciating um, as it gains more fame. So that's really, that's really what it boils down to. It's the sort of the notoriety of the item. Yeah, because that's actually very interesting with art. And we were analyzing this with my pain, uh, painter friend, um, With art, um, 
if you have good contacts and whatever, you may not, your, your paintings might not be the best paintings, but you become very famous or, you know, like aesthetic is always depending on what, if your friends like your art and they're famous and they can contact you with this and that and blah, 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 then you get, you know, like really famous and then you start selling And I see this happening right now also with NFTs. Like there has been the, all these memes selling for thousands or millions of dollars right now. What do you think, actually, why is this happening? Like what makes a meme more valuable than another one? <laughs> yeah, I think there, there is some, um, uh, it's just excitement. I think there's a lot of excitement. It's very new and innovative. And people, maybe they're getting a bit carried away in some of these, but maybe not. You see, um, however, I, I would say that with this, as soon as something starts to take off, a lot of people rush into the space. And often a lot of things are created that aren't of really of, of value or quality. They just start making stuff. And, and so that's what's happening here. But it's always like that. People are because they're, they're experimenting and it's good. They're experimenting and trying things. Um, and, and now people have uh, the claim The claim to fame here is like um, one of the most famous artists in the NFT space. His name is Beeple. And he, but basically he had been um, making, he'd been making, he was a digital artist who made an incredible piece of art every day. I think for 10 years, it's it just incredible. And so, and he not only did he do that, but he taught how to do it. And he built this huge community of people who adored him because he was teaching them how to make this incredible digital art. So imagine if you did that for a decade, you build up this huge fan base and you teach thousands and thousands of people with your own time, how to do it. And then you do it yourself and, and your work is actually good. It's, it's amazing. People want it. Well, after all that for a decade, he decided to make NFTs. And in one weekend, he made, um, I think, $69 million. And so, but it, it came after a decade of him actually, and everybody mm. who looks at it, whether they like his style or not, they acknowledge that he has incredible talent. And, and so he's a very talented artist. And, and so that's, that's an example of somebody. And, and the people who bought them, while it sounded like it was, they spent a lot, well, they've actually often made a lot more afterwards. Interestingly, they bought them because people, There was a limited number. You see, it's the rarity. It's the limited number of them. And so it's the scarcity. People know that they're scarce. Now, that's the, that's the innovative thing about NFTs. How do you bring scarcity to a digital item? One of the most powerful things about digital is its ability to be copied. That's what we've always been copying files and sending them to each other. That was the breakthrough around blockchain was for the very first time you could take a digital item that typically – in the past, was always able to be copied identically. Copy, copy, copy. So there's no nothing special. That could, how could a currency, how could value ever come from the digital item itself? But because of the innovation around cryptographically securing it, meaning you could basically um, wrap it with this encoding, which made it unique. It was a unique identifier that, that could not be copied. And there's a lot of mathematics and complexity around that. But basically, suffice to say that it, these digital items They can't be copied and everybody can track them and they know where they came from. So it's the trackability. It's like, what, like what if I just took Beeple's artwork and I copied it and put it out there? Well, guess what? Everybody knows it didn't come from Beeple. So I can't, I, I could take a, I could take a photo. I could take a copy of his actual image and pretend to be him, but it doesn't work because everybody, he's, he's, he's the one issuing them. It's like, he's, it's like he's signing it. It's a digital signature. Like when, even when an artist made a, digi a digital print, They made a print and they signed it. And even if there was a hundred copies or a thousand copies, they still had value depending upon the fame of the artist. And everybody knew, oh, I got number 35 out of a hundred, or I got number five. 
Well, I got number one. And that's what people valued. And, and that's what we're doing with these band tokens as well. So we're following that same model where there's a, a limited number of only 3,000 and they're being issued and we're the only ones issuing them and everybody can check that. So that's really how an NFT works. It's like, oh, people can check who's the one issuing them and what's the value because there's a limited number. So if you're creating a business like with NFTs, when you start, you have to define the number of tokens mm -hmm. that you're going to Tokens would be the the right name or NFTs, yes. like or is it yeah. the same? Okay. Oh yeah, yep. Okay, so it, the token or NFT is the code, right? Mm -hmm. The code made for that special thing, right? Am I yes. understanding correctly? Okay, so um, if you have a code, how can you divide that code into three thousand? And do you decide that from the beginning as a creator or? Can you divide them afterwards? Or how do you make sure that it's not going to be divided afterwards? Or is it divided afterwards, but more to uh, uh, lift the price of the shares? How, how does that part work? Well, again, this is one of the interesting things with the uh, NFT is that they are they're non-divisible. So unlike Bitcoins, so one Bitcoin has got 18 decimal places after it. So it can be divided up into millions of pieces. One Bitcoin, millions and millions of pieces. But an NFT cannot be. Just like it's, it operates in the same way as a, as a piece of art. You can't take um, the Mona Lisa and cut it up into little pieces. It doesn't work. It's no longer the Mona Lisa. A piece of art can't do that. And so that's how the NFT works is it's, it's a single item. It's one and it can't be broken up. It's the opposite of the fungible token. So that even $1, $1 can be broken up into 100 because there's, one, there's 100 cents inside $1. And so that's so the the fungible items they can be broken up, but the non fungible cannot be. Just like a piece of art can't be. And so when uh, an artist, it's just always go back to the artist. Like when somebody is making whatever it was, even if it was pottery or um, or a painting, or if they're doing a print, or maybe even a um, they are doing music and they're doing a limited set. They always they will be thinking there'll be a limited number. And so now it does come down to the the reproduction process. If somebody is um, it changes when they're doing one painting or they're doing a live music performance. If they're doing a live music performance, that's the value. It's in the, it's in the moment, only in the recording of it, only when the artist takes their painting and turns it into a print of a hundred copies. If it's, if it's a singular item, if it's in, if it's being done in the moment, then there, it's not possible for the reproduction. It can't be reproduced. It's only in the recording and the um, multiplying of it through a mechanized process. That's that's really how this works. And now we're taking that another step further and making it digital. Yeah, but then what's the shares that uh, people sell, like when you do that business? How do you okay, divide so, it to? Mm -hmm. Well, basically in this one, because we're making we're having these royalty pools and we're only issuing the 3,000, and in this one, we're going to do um, four of these this year. But that means that um, 3,000 people, they can, or however many people want to, people are buying more than one, they can get um, these these NFTs as a representation, which is there, and if they want to, they can put them into the pool. So how it works is that they there are these royalty pools where the royalties are coming in, and they have two choices. They can either just hold on to their NFT, because maybe it's going to be have trading value. They might want to trade it. Or they could put it into the pool and earn some of the revenue. So people are going to be, and that's kind of, I guess, in a way, we're, we're bringing that sort of a gamification to it, where they're, they're having to choose, where do I, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to uh, hold it and maybe sell it and it might go up in value? Or maybe I'll put it into the music pool 
and I'll get a revenue. And, and so these are the sort of, it's basically just bringing, um, this is always really the case with things like with an asset, like what does somebody want to do with it? If they buy a house, do they just want to hold it or do they, and, and rent it or do they uh, and rent it out or do they want to sell it and try to make a profit? And, and so it's really the same sort of concept here. And how is it going to grow? Like, so now, uh, I heard you you already issued the first step, right? You're already yes. selling these 3,000. What's the second stage? What's happening there? Well, interesting. Good question. So in the second stage, so we're going to have um, a second series of NFTs, but we're also going to actually have a token, a fungible token. So we're going to be launching both a non-fungible, these NFTs, and then we're going to be having a fungible token because we do want to basically, that's going to bring it to more people. So we're going to be opening it up and have having allowing more people to participate. And that's really where the, the fungible token will come in. So because there's a, there'll be a very limited cap on the number of people who can have the NFTs, but there's going to be a much wider scope of people having the tokens themselves. And so I think that's going to create a lot of excitement. So in a way, we're really we're using the NFTs to draw the attention. Say, oh, look at this. This is how it works. It's a simple thing for people to understand. And once they start playing with that and seeing the value of it, then they can have the tokens, the fungible tokens. And that's going to start opening up new levels of value because more people will be able to participate. And in the third and fourth stage, it's kind of the same scalable scalable process or? Yes. Yeah, so basically then there'll be more series that there'll be um, with planning on four series of these NFTs. So there'll be more artwork, more musicians. But as we keep on um, what we're doing as more revenue comes in from the sale of the NFTs, Uh, as well, we're gonna we're just gonna keep on buying more music uh, royalties. So the music library is gonna keep expanding, and more people are gonna be sharing and participating in that. So it's gonna get very exciting for people. They're gonna basically be able to participate in a growing library of music and and famous musicians. And so and that's gonna get the musicians' attention. So it's gonna have many interesting effects. Yeah, and I was wondering, like for the um, musicians that are not so famous. Is this a useful or is it convenient for them to come into the pool? Are you going to open that possibility in any moment? Like, hey, you artists that want to come and, you know, it's going to be great to promote music from all over the world. You know, that's what Spotify is doing. And suddenly everybody's playing more and more and more. And I don't know if the that benefits you as a company or not. Well, for sure, it, it could. It could. And we're very excited about that. We want to provide a platform that's going to elevate the profile of, of all types of musicians, um, really famous existing ones that could participate, but also new ones, ones who want to get off the ground. And so that's basically part of the roadmap is that we'll be creating a platform where they can come and even if they have a small fan base, they can start to grow it and they'll have more power and control over the royalties in the process. So the musician themselves will benefit, even if they're not a famous one, they could start to use that. And, and by then, band will have attracted a lot of attention. So then they'll know, oh, if I, if I join up with band as a platform, it's going to help more people discover me. And unlike, it'll be the opposite actually of Spotify, because Spotify, they're doing the streaming revenue. And it's quite, if you look into it, the musicians are not getting very much. In fact, there are some very, very famous musicians through um, who've, who've had you know, tens or hundreds of millions of plays of their songs and they only earned a few thousand dollars, even from such a huge um, amount. And so it, the music industry has really changed a lot uh, in, in the last, since the um, iPod came out 20 years ago, it's changed enormously. And then with the streaming income, so it keeps on changing. But sadly, the way it's kept on changing 
is it's been taking away income from the musicians, really. Many, many musicians have not been earning as much. And so there's a lot of, it's a very fragmented industry right now with a lot of um, problems actually for the musicians. And so we're stepping in to try to bring more empowerment and more revenue back to the musician and share it with their fans instead of it all going to the music label itself. But then if you were talking about, okay, for Beyonce and all of these guys, like we bought the rights that they had already sold before, right? Mm -hmm. But for the new musicians, what are they winning for the process? That would be an entirely new offering. That will be a new okay. that'll be a new offering, which um, basically we haven't launched that yet. So it'll be a, it'll be quite a different offering. And it won't be in the current structure. It'll but it will be using the tokens, and so the musicians will be able to participate the new ones inside of that. And um, I think in a way we'll have to sort of just um, because it's not launched yet, uh, we'll have to kind of leave it because it's a um, it's a it's a big step and it's it's on the roadmap, but. Uh, suffice to say, we're going to make it very appealing and exciting for uh, for new musicians who who want to have a uh, who be more empowered and have more control over their music. Um, but it's it's that's a few months away, which is very 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 soon actually. A few months, like you you make it sound like super easy. <laughs> I would think like some years probably. <laughs> oh wow, um, wow, this is. Amazing. Okay. And one, uh, and you talk a, a little bit about how much is one NFT right now? How is it working, the band royalty right now? Sure. So we're launching it um, with for one Ethereum, which is Ethereum has grown like um, just over, I didn't know, 12 months ago, it was uh, around $100. And right now it's over $2,000 for one Ethereum. So it's, This is what happens with cryptocurrencies. When they start moving, they can go very fast. So Ethereum has gone up 20 times in the last 12 months, which is, um, or more than 20 times, actually. So that's how, now, we're doing that because this is a very uh, unusual NFT. Most NFTs, they don't actually have a value proposition behind them. They don't actually have a connection with a real-world asset. So this is actually a unique offering in the marketplace that nobody else is doing. People are buying NFTs, even sometimes in the millions of dollars, that have nothing behind them, nothing at all. This one, you're connected, potentially, if you stake them into the music pool, to a real earnings on real um, assets. So it's a, very, uh, it's a very solid offering, basically, we feel. Which I know you already have, like, another project, uh, Klingold, that actually has mm -hmm. this kind of thing, no? You like, like, basing <laughs> code into real things or things that are more solid, like gold and music and... I think this is amazing. But then this gives the opportunity only for the people, again, that has money right now or that has been into cryptocurrencies or blockchain for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. This is true. I mean, when we say a long time, like Ethereum only came out about five or six years ago. Ethereum is like, you know, when so imagine that, like when it was launched in 2015 at, I think, you know, a penny or something, one cent. So how does something go in five years from one cent to two and a half, two, two and a half thousand dollars? Um, it's quite incredible. So, yes, now that really points back to the empowerment of the individual, the knowledge, how much do we know? And, you know, it, it really, because the people, it's always about knowledge. Those people who have the knowledge, they have more power. And what we're trying to do is, is share that. Now, at the moment, um, 
the whole cryptocurrency marketplace is has gone up to two trillion dollars. It's incredible, two trillion. All of the gold in the world equals about ten trillion dollars. So, but when you look at all the capital markets around the whole world, they are in the many, 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 many trillions and trillions. So this is the world of value. So if we're going to start taking more value from existing uh, markets, the cryptocurrency market is it's going to come into that. It's going to grow enormously over this coming um, decade. So while people are amazed at the value of how much it's grown, it has got so much further to go. In fact, I challenge anybody to go around and ask people that they know how many of them have got cryptocurrency. Almost nobody. They'll, they'll, they'll go and, and so hardly anybody has any. It's still so, and I'm even, even wealthy people, hardly any wealthy people have got any because they don't understand it. It seems Even like this me, mystic- that I've been your friends for months, yeah. <laughs> and I'm having trouble. Yeah, sorry, continue. That's right. So it's the same because it, it, it takes a while for people. Like I know many people in the technology business who they're very technical. They know how to code. They know all. all they don't have any. They don't because it's a strange thing, really. It's it's and also it, because it comes back to trust. You see, people are very. Um, Money is a very emotional thing for people. They don't really um, – they need to have trust in the value of what they're dealing with. And until they have trust in the value, they're not going to join it. So cryptocurrencies are having to win over people's trust that this is actually – that when they see it go up in value so fast and then drop in value, it has a, they have trouble trusting that because they're like, oh, where am I in the cycle? Am I are we at the top? Are we going to crash? Are we at the bottom and going up? This is very hard for people to because normally people are used to um, a good return, a very good return, being like ten or twenty percent in a year. It's like wow, if something goes up in value by twenty percent in a year, that sounds like a great result. Cryptocurrencies go up in twenty percent in a day. <laughs> so, so how can people? Or they can drop by twenty percent in a day. I mean, if you've put. If someone's got their money that they're counting on for living, their rent money or their food money, and they're putting it in there, and they're seeing it go up or down by 20% in a week, how, how could somebody manage their budget doing that? It's very, very difficult. Yeah. So this it does require a lot of knowledge. So that's why there is a sector of the growing cryptocurrency infrastructure in the marketplace that's called stable coins. And true to their name, they don't go up or down. They're basically they're, they're, they're pegged uh, to the dollar, or some of them are pegged to gold. And so, and, and gold, um, it also goes up or down by 10%, but usually up or down by 10% in a year. Now, people, that, that's something that people can, um, they can, they can feel comfortable with that, especially if it's going up by 10% a year. They're like, oh, that's, that's good. Um, now, sadly, actually, people have a lot of confidence in their, um, in their government issued money, typically, especially around the whole world. Everybody loves the US dollar. It's seen as the pinnacle. But people, what people haven't looked at is how the US dollar's spending power actually the amount that you can, the actual value it has in the last 100 years has lost over 95% of its value of its spending power in 100 years. And it's lost over 60% in 50 years. And in the last 12 years since the global financial crisis, it's lost over 30% of its spending power just in the last 10 years. So that what that means is the dollars that you had a bit over 10, just around 10 years ago, they've lost a third of their spending power And now, if, if so, and if it's lost, if it's lost 95% of it in 100 years, where's this going? Now, historically, um, what the US dollar and the peso and uh, the renminbi and all the different, they're called fiat dollar. They're called, it's a currency based around, and fiat stands for faith. 
they're having confidence in it. Confidence in what? Confidence in the government. Well, all fiat currencies around the world historically have always dropped to zero. And that is not, and because, but because it's um, it's such a big piece of history, most people are not aware of that, and they don't even know what that means. They're like, "What is that? How can how can that be? It can't drop." No, just look historically. Look at the um, Zimbabwe dollar. Uh, look at uh, different economies around the world. Look at Venezuela. You know, it's very sad, very sad to see what, and 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 very sadly, this can happen sometimes. When it does happen, it can happen very quickly. In fact, even just look in Mexico. Look what happened in the nineties in Mexico. They, they, they can just add a zero. They can, they can do things overnight, overnight. What that, what that can do is that can mean that what somebody has spent 10 years saving up. You see, people actually, they're taking their life, literally their hours of their life and the work that they're doing, and then they're turning those hours into dollars, into fiat currency, and then storing it in a bank. And then at the flick of a switch, all of that value can just be decimated because of somebody in a centralized position saying, we need to change this. But did they ask everybody about that? No, they didn't ask them. And that's, the, that's where centralized power can rob people, actually. Um, and this is one of the reasons uh, that change, bringing real change, can have a huge, powerful impact here. Because once people start to wake up that, oh, there's a different kind of currency. There's a different kind of currency that is unconfiscatable. Nobody can confiscate it. Oh, really? So nobody can take my Bitcoin? Nobody can take my Ethereum? Correct. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a big change for people to start wrapping their heads around. It's a very new, very new concept. But I guess like, wow, what you just said is very interesting. And actually like that crisis in the 90s, like completely broke my family, not the crisis, but the way we thought about it and how how we actually like, we were moving to, to uh how do you say it? like the countryside of Mexico and Cuernavaca, Morelos. And it's really hard for people to actually accept people from, from uh, Mexico city in the countryside sometimes. So it's a lot of different, actually like uh, factors. It's not the crisis itself, but how do we, how, how we get involved with it? How, how we uh, solve the things that that opportunity brings to towards us. Right. Um, so I think it's really interesting because actually now we're having some of those challenges with cryptocurrencies and yeah, it's about knowledge, but it, I guess it's also about, for example, now we cannot use uh, the cryptocurrency, the cryptocurrencies money to live, right? Like people has to hold on with fiat for some years uh, because no. No? no, they can use it. No, you can can't. you talk a little bit about this? Like if, yes, if you spend this, because I, I see like most of the systems or most of my friends that have cryptocurrencies are just letting it grow, are not spending it. So how, how, how does this work? Well, because there are integrations now uh, that go from cryptocurrencies into banking. So into the current infrastructure, there, there are those. And they, they usually are um, can, called exchanges. So they're cryptocurrency exchanges and a few of them, not, not most of them, but a few of them connected directly with bank accounts. So it's very interesting that people can actually, they can take crypto or they can even earn in crypto. Somebody could pay them with a cryptocurrency and then they could turn it into fiat, into dollars or pesos, and then they could spend it. So there's actually an economy now, which people has been working for quite a few years. Now, this is something that, again, most people don't know. They don't know that they could actually um, earn and then spend in the cryptocurrency. But this is very possible. 
And what's the systems you know uh, today that work like this? I met this guy, Luke. I don't remember his, his last name, but I'm going to bring it in a conversation with you and Xavier. That would be super fun. He's actually creating like a PayPal, PayPal for cryptocurrencies too. Um, which are the systems you know that are working like this right now? One of, uh, like in, in Mexico, there's a, a popular exchange called Bitso and Bitso.com, they, um, B-I-T-S-O, they, they enable that. Um, that connection with the banks. In the US, um, Coinbase is one of the biggest exchanges in the world. And they enable that. Um, more and more of these exchanges actually are, and there's, uh, in, in most countries, there's actually usually one. There's usually at least one that has this connection directly to the banking system. And once you have that, once you have a, a gateway that connects to the bank, you can take your crypto and sell it and move it to your bank account or the other way around. You can take it from the bank account into crypto. Once you've got that, You can spend it on your groceries if you so want then, to. So then the banks are also benefiting from this. Mm. They are because they're getting more business. So they're basically getting um, – the, the banks are just beginning to wake up to it. It's a, it's a very new area, obviously, all in the last decade. And, but even it, it's taken – it's only been the last few years that they've actually started having this kind of connections. Um, the banks will always want to go where there's a flow of capital. Where the capital is flowing, they'll want to go and participate. And so if they can see more revenue, and because they'll, they'll make that little money on the fees going in and out, and they're still getting that. And so long, as long as there are transactions happening on their network, then they'll be happy with it. And how does that fusion work? Because then we're not talking about fighting the system. We're talking about um, like making a fusion. And right. that's, that's really like interesting too, because there's people that has been telling me, you know, like all the contracts in the world belong to the queen of England and then like all these families and then we have to get banks out of the system because it's not worth giving our power to them. And this is what we were talking about, decentralization. But then what happens when they come together? Well, they've already, they are coming together. Like, so there's yeah, a I lot mean, of integration. What's happening yeah. there? So... I guess um, like I, I hear the sort of the, the, the question behind that is like, um, is there like a co-opting? Is there some sort of takeover of cryptocurrency? Is there something happening where that, that old power is coming in? Will it really remain free? Will it really remain for the people? I'm wondering if that's what you're asking Or, as well. I am not into conspiracy theories at all. Okay. You know that. So I am not mistrusting anything. I'm just wondering where, where are we going? Hmm. But you see, the, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I don't really know the answers to maybe some of those conspiracy theories. Maybe they are correct. Maybe they're not. Um, I do know that there is um, centralized power. And I know it likes to keep its power and, and it sort of it, it wants to ration it out. But I also know that things can get away from it. I know that things could, power can just start slipping out to people. And, and it's like a, innovation is always uh, this, um, it's like a, a game, like a battle, like a match between sides when you're playing a, on the field. It's like, and, and so, um, but, it, but it's also cooperative. See, it's many things. There's cooperation happening. So there's competition and there's cooperation happening. And both of them are happening at the same time in different areas. And so where that would all go, but you, you see, because it's a very complex system, it's hard to know where it will go because on some sides, things are cooperating and other sides, they're competing. And so, Uh, it's it's really it's like a game. It's like a game of chess um, or, or, or a football game or whatever. But then because it's, it's like basically playing chess and football all at the same time and many other games as well. So it's like, wow, like, you know, how in such a complex system, where could this go? 
I think the main thing is, though, it's, it's around empowerment of people learning. People, if, if people focus always on what they can do, where can they participate, don't leave it up to somebody else. Don't just think, oh, somebody else will take care of this. No, no, no. Become involved in the game. Get on the field. Start playing. Even if you're no good at it, start practicing. Get better at it. Don't be afraid to lose. This is where we need to be spending our time, is getting onto the field, playing these games, picking up these tools, and looking at in interesting ways to innovate, if that is somebody's passion. If it's not their passion, we'll find something else. Um, but, <laughs> I, I, but because suddenly society is changing so much and finance is changing and economies and industry, all these things, it's like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity here. I could get involved. I wonder what difference I could make in that because things are really shifting so much. And I think that's the exciting thing for people is, but they won't know unless they start looking. And is it hard? Yes, it is because it's complicated. And it takes time. It takes um, a lot of study, you know, but, but anything worthwhile in life does take a lot of study and time. And how does it start? It starts with the first step. And if we never take that first step, um, nothing ever happens. And, and so, and there's often a lot of resistance because, because it feels hard and uncomfortable, but then so is everything that feels worthwhile, you know? And, and so I think that's what we have to keep on. We don't have to, but like, if we want to keep growing, um, we have to keep taking that step. It's like, wow, if I take that step, then I can take another and I'll get stronger. And, and so we don't, you don't walk into a gym and the first day and you're all strong. You have to keep going every week or et cetera, you know? So yeah, this is how things change. Wow. And what's the banks that you know that are participating right now? Well, it's, it's more like um, the exchanges, the cryptocurrency exchanges, they integrate typically with, um, with quite a lot of banks. So, but, but basically banking is getting involved in crypto. Even some of the largest banks, JP Morgan is now buying cryptocurrencies. Um, in fact, I think most of the, the largest ones, they have some participation going on in it at the moment, but they're not, they're not delivering it to the people. They're not, they're not like you don't walk into a bank and see a little sign that says, you know, buy your Bitcoin or Ethereum. They're not making it that easy. So you have to basically go to the cryptocurrency exchange and ask them, which banks do you integrate with? That's how it starts. You find the, 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 the cryptocurrency exchange for your country, message them, have a look, and see do they integrate with banks? And, and if they do, which banks do they integrate with? And that's where the, so that's how you get to it. Um, and then from there, you can reverse engineer it back to your own account and go, okay. Or maybe you, maybe they have a different bank and you go and open up an account with that bank because each of the banks connect. So sometimes this is about pipes. So from one bank to another bank to an exchange to cryptocurrency. And so you connect the pipes. And, and that's why uh, it's good to learn all these things because really it's just plumbing. That's why they all the words around money are all to do with um, water flow, you know, the flow of capital. A bank, a bank is, a, is on the water bank. So everything to do with cash flow, all these words to do with finance, they're all based on water. And so it's really connecting the pipes between all the different accounts. So then you can actually manage your own capital flow. And that's empowering for people. Wow. And what would you recommend to start getting in this world? Well, I'd recommend actually just getting educated, like basically following up on all of these, these areas. Like if somebody, um, uh, if somebody's interested, uh, it, well, pretty much here's the thing. Everybody's interested in money because they know they need it to survive and, and pay for bills and buy food. So I say, if you're interested in money, which is everybody, then start learning about this new type of money this new type of cryptocurrency. Um, just start watching some videos on YouTube, looking it up and, and, and look at it from many different perspectives. Ask different people. Um, go into forums if you have questions. Don't be afraid to ask. 
Uh, that's one of the biggest things that has people get blocked. So I'd say first start researching, just start watching. If you watched, um, let's say, a 10-minute video every day or one hour a week of, of videos uh, on cryptocurrencies, on blockchain, on Bitcoin, eventually the penny will drop and you'll say, oh, that's how that works. And then uh, look up the cryptocurrency exchanges in your country and, and then contact them. <clears throat> just actually just register actually on them. They're, reg they're free to register on and it takes a bit of effort because usually you have to show some ID, something like that often. Um, and then, then the, after you've done that training and set up an account, well, the biggest step then is like, okay, I'll get some of my money. So then you get $100 or something or whatever it is, um, and a 1,000 pesos or you, you get this. And then you, you transfer it from your bank over there to the exchange and you buy your first bit of crypto. And then, oh. and then what happens to people is that they start paying attention. They say, oh, even if they have $50 of it or something, whatever it is, they – they start looking, oh, it's going up, oh, it's going down. And they get very excited or very, they, they're on an emotional roller coaster. Now, <laughs> interestingly, this is an interesting time because we're seeing cryptocurrencies go up a lot at the moment. Uh, it's because um, this is what's called a bull market. It's, a, it's an up market. It's where things are going up in value. And last year, the last couple of years, it was going down in value. Oh, it was kind of choppy. It was up and down. And that's because there are these market swings that people watch the uh, the charts. There's the, there's actually a, um, a process. There's a there's a pattern to this. And Bitcoin has a very Bitcoin is the leader of the market, and all the other cryptos they follow it. And so it has a very regular pattern. Every four years, it has this event called the halving, where the amount of Bitcoin produced gets less by half every four years. And immediately following that. In the whole last 12 years, it goes up for 18 months afterwards. And that was last May. The halving, the last halving was in May in 2020. And so, and all the other ones, there was always a, a, a bull market of going up in value a lot for 18 months afterwards. Well, we're in that right now. And what's happened? Well, 12 months ago, Bitcoin was about $4,000. And now it's about fifty. So in the US dollars. And so true, again, to the pattern that people were saying. People were saying that that's what happened. But most people didn't believe well, it because if somebody now yeah. now uh, Mr. Tewari is saying that in July it's going to happen something like this, right? Uh, the markets so you, the markets will do what in July? We'll, we'll, it's going to rise. He's like making all this noise about like the coins. You see, there's always people saying that for July. Okay, this okay. is so this people, is wait, like, but, but, yeah, so people need to do their own research and listen to these different points of view because people have got different theories on. But I'm just saying that there is a very consistent view that with the halving, everybody would agree that they're seeing this pattern and and it has been following that. Will it continue like for the next week, for the next month, for the next six months? Um, it's hard to know. But historically, that's what's been happening. So I, I can't give anybody financial advice. I can't tell them, hey, this is what you need to do. I was just going to ask you, like, what's the coins you, you would advise people to buy? <laughs> No, no, no. I think people should just research and have a look and and, and do their own because there's a, there, there's a, obviously quite a lot of <laughs> yeah exactly take responsibility. But this this is pointing the way, and uh, hopefully that would be empowering enough for people to take some first steps. Yeah, completely. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> wow. Um, and what's what's the cultural changes you see happening with all of these? Well, um, well, there's so many cultural changes happening all the time, and that's what we see. We see every decade, decades go by, and many changes. And I think technology is what brings 
the changes. If you actually look at it, in the, if you look at the last 150 years, how much change has there been in the world? And what was the core instigator every time was technology? That's what, because human life, uh, for the most part, has been quite simple for people over the, the centuries. Uh, you know, people have families, they eat food, they grow crops, they they do a little bit of travel. This is how people have been living for centuries, thousands of years. But suddenly, in the last 150 years, oh my goodness, people have been living in dramatically different ways, like radically different ways because of technology. And, and so as and as each technological innovation happens, it opens up more potential, which brings more change and faster. So as each shift happens, the change grows, gets faster and faster. And, and this is actually, um, it's very hard for people to keep up with. It's actually, there's, a, there's, a, there's an impact on people because just when you're getting used to something, like just maybe when someone's getting used to how money works, suddenly it changes. All of, and the whole thing about money changes. It's like, what? Like the, so all the rules, everything that somebody knew, it's all changed now. And, and, and this is not small things. Like it's not just change happening on far away things or things that we don't use. That's happening. But when it starts happening to the very fabric of someone's interaction, uh, it's like, wow, where is the solid ground to stand? And, and so, um, like, you know, we, we, many of us, we have, if we're fortunate, we have older relatives. If we have older relatives, I ask them, what was it like 50 years ago, 70 years ago? If you've got somebody, can you ask them, what was it like 80 years ago? Oh, my goodness. The, the, the world is nothing like it was 80 years ago in, in many respects. Um, in fact, the biggest changes, or some, certainly in my lifetime and most people, um, happened in the 90s. Because basically, before 95, there was no internet and there were no mobile phones. So in a world with no internet and no mo mobile phones, like everything was slow. The speed at which life was going before 95 was immeasurably slower than what it is today because people had time. They could, you know, they didn't have to, when you made an appointment to go and meet somebody, you would just have to meet them there at that time. There wasn't any checking. You had no way to message them. But now we're messaging all the time, everything. And so now, and also you look something up, you go to the library and you had to, or you read it in the newspaper. You had these um, trusted sources of information, whether they were telling you the truth or not is another matter, but they, that's who you trusted. Now, it's the opposite. It's not just a couple of places for information. There's 10,000, there's a million places. And so now it's the opposite. Everything has changed. It's like there's too much, not too much, there's so much information. Which one am I going to trust? Because guess what? They all say something different. And often they're competing and they're telling me the opposite thing. So when people are actually, and smart people and knowledgeable people with credentials, trustworthy people are saying the opposite things. So this is having a huge impact on people because they don't know where to place their trust. So in a world of immeasurable change, where do you trust? And when you can't trust the information sources, what happens? Typically, what I'm seeing, people become apathetic. They lose confidence. This, this effect of having so much information is actually, in many respects, having people lose some confidence in themselves because they don't know who to turn to and they potentially lose trust in everybody. So instead of in the past, when you when you list, your first thing was you just trusted everybody. Oh yeah, I trust that. I trust that because that's so and so said that it was on TV. I trust it. Now it's the opposite. Oh, I don't trust anything. So this is it's getting it's it's so much, and that's only one area of change. But but that that effect alone is going to have huge ramifications on people, and it's only just really beginning because the the penny is starting to drop on people um, very fast with what's going on. Like we're all living in radically different times where suddenly travel is not even easy. Where is this? So I, I'm seeing 
immeasurable change happening in this decade. If we thought there was big change since the 90s in the last 25 years, I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think that the coming decade, we're already, I mean, who would have thought in the last 12 months what has happened? Like if I'd said, if I'd gone back in time and told somebody just 12 months ago, oh, this is, this is, this is how the world's going to be. Oh, they would have thought I was crazy. They would never have believed it, never have believed. If I, if I was just describing, so if that much change can happen in 12 months, what's the next 12 months going to bring? And the one after that, I see every year from now on being a ginormous leap. And what concerns me is actually is, is the disempowerment of people. I'm concerned by options being taken away. I see people not being clear, not being sure what they can do, where they can go, what they – and so this is – so, and, and even having the tools. How does somebody have the tools of where to generate their own trust? Well, really what it's going to start hopefully doing for people is bringing it back to themselves. Oh, wow, I need to become my own trusted source. It doesn't work if I'm looking elsewhere. If I'm looking outside of myself, I'm going to be confused. So, again, that's back to skills. One needs to develop skills, research skills. One needs to have critical thinking. These are some of the biggest things. One needs to start really focusing on how does one develop critical thinking and, and analysis skills to be able to assess the information because that's what we do. Every, all, of our, every, all of our actions are based upon information. And so we have to figure we, – and so the first step is figuring out how to read the information and figure out the different viewpoints. And then we take a side. We always have to take a side. We have to pick something. I'm going to be – this is my position. But then keep an open mind. Was I right about that or was I wrong about that? And be okay with, okay, I was wrong about that. I'll change my position. Hopefully, that's what I would hope for people is that they can start to keep an open mind and admit when they made the wrong choice because there are uh, wrong choices. <laughs> I do. And, and so and there, because basically there are effects where you have either a, an increase uh, in, in a result, like something is more positive, you, it's clear there was a better return in whatever form it was, or it was diminished. And if it's diminished, so either one is getting um, having more strength in life or one is having diminished strength in life. And, and that's really the metrics. It's not about good or bad. It's really about um, one's own level of, of, of trust, confidence, vitality, happiness, all these things, but they all come back to oneself. And if we're looking outside of ourselves and going, oh, you tell me, am I happy? You tell me, am I empowered? Oh, my goodness, please. No, no, no. Bringing it back to oneself. We have the power. Each of us has the power to check and learn. And, and with that, we can discover anything that's going on. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. And I mean, um, yeah, we're, we're uh, running out of time, but I would like you because Block Alchemy is um, actually like helping businessmen and women to make their business uh, mm. into the blockchain converted into yes. the blockchain so um what can you say about this i was hearing you say like you have to know if your proposal is good enough or if it's worth actually going there uh for your mm -hmm. business like how do you know that as as a normal businessman or women in this time well I'd say, again, it comes back to what I was saying before, but just starting to research and look at it. So people have their current businesses, and the easiest thing about Bitcoin and or about blockchain really is around the financial area. And everybody uses finances in their business. Business is about finance. It's about receiving income and paying income. So that's the first thing that somebody could start doing in their business. They could start actually accepting cryptocurrency 
they, they could accept it and then they could pay it. That's the very first basic level. Now, beyond that, there are many more levels of complexity. Maybe there are other aspects that could start to fit in, but that would be the first level. But but wait a minute there, because if if you have a business and you accept cryptocurrencies, like, again, uh, how do you deal with half fiat or some percentage uh, in fiat and some percentage in, in real money, like... You need kind of an expertise right now, and we cannot all, as you said, like be calling Barnaby, like, "Hey, Barnaby, like, is my business good enough or not?" <laughs> no, but, but but everybody can receive. It's just just think of it as another currency. Like you know, already there there's you know, two hundred more, more current. There's over two hundred countries in the world, so there's over two hundred currencies in the world, and the main one being U.S. dollars, and then there's other ones. Like so, everybody's usually happy to get U.S. dollars. Okay, cool. Um, But then US dollar is always the same value, uh, except it's diminishing in spending power, but only a little bit every year. So it's sort of unnoticeable. But basically, so, but if we just put that aside, but then why not just say, okay, well, now I'm open to receiving Bitcoin or Ethereum. Now, the tricky thing with that is a business usually has to be careful of its expenses and it can't handle swings in value of um, 5% a day, 20% a week, whatever. They can't, it's too much for them. So then if they were receiving it, It would depend upon how much capital they have. If they had a lot of capital reserves, then they could handle those swings because these days not that many people have it, so they're probably not going to be getting a lot of orders in that. So even if one opens oneself up to receiving it, the likelihood of you getting a lot of orders in that is still low. But it's a nice thing to do because it shows it's going to start building people's confidence. If, if, everybody, if all the businesses start offering it, suddenly everybody would start using it. So it's that catch-22 So where are we at? You know, are people going to start um, opening to receive it? Once they do that, it gives more confidence because they're seeing that. Now, what could the business owner do once they receive it? If they receive some Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever their cryptocurrency is, well, they could convert it, as I said before, with the exchange in the bank. They could convert it over to their fiat, to their dollars or their pesos or whatever currency. They could do it on that day. And many of them do that. And it's not going to move that much in a day. So they're not going to win or lose a great deal on that one day, typically. There are some days when that happens, but it's not that's not the typical thing. Um, and, and so that would be the simplest thing is they could just receive it and then they could convert it. If they have a lot of capital reserves and, and they don't need to worry about it, they could be speculative. Because if you're holding on to it, that's a speculative asset. Because now you're like, well, you and you're hoping it'll go up. Nobody wants it to see it go down when you, once you've got it. So that that would, I'd say, be the simplest way for someone to start with their business. And in a more technical way, like if I decide to start my business, um, who do I contact? Like, uh, who do you contact to start receiving it? You mean? Yeah, like to create the system for your own company, like to start receiving the capital and uh, to, uh, mm -hmm. to be, be repaid. Okay, well, it's, it's free. Basically, steps to you first you just um, set up a cryptocurrency wallet. It's they're free to set up. So you basically anybody can if you just type into YouTube or into Google. Um, How do I set up a, a Bitcoin wallet address? It's like an email address. Like it's like receiving email. Just think of it like that. You're receiving email, but instead of receiving email, you're receiving a payment. It's very, it's a very different thing to think of. Like, you know, and it just comes directly to a, a series of numbers and letters, just like a bank account. It's like a combination of a bank account and an email address all coming into one. And so I'd recommend one of the easiest wallets to use is called Exodus. Uh, that, you know, E-X-O. D um, Exodus uh, US. So basically, it's just the word Exodus. So you just go and um, get that, and it's a um, like a mobile wallet and a desktop, so or your laptop. You can and it's on everything from Windows to Mac to 
our iPhone and Android, all these different things. And so um, it's a very straightforward. It's free to use. And you just sign up. You just register. It doesn't even ask for your name or address. It's completely just sets up. And it gives you that wallet instantly. And um, and then so once the you moment, have that. It, it's the same for any individual as for any business. Correct. It's the same. It's for, okay. And it's free to set up and doesn't even require any ID. You can just download it, press a button, and you get it. And now you can start receiving the cryptocurrency. It's as simple as that. Wow. And does this create any kind of like uh, circumstances where people can get money stolen, like fake products no. uh, selling there how do we no because no because it's all it's all it's anonymous so with this with this um with, that's one of the beauties of this when you have your own cryptocurrency wallet nobody knows there's no id and so it's it, there's nobody it's nobody tracking you it's not connected to your email address it's just no, your own but private I mean, wallet i mean if you have if you're selling any products as a company and people starts buying it like what protects the buyer that you're actually like a legit company, for example. Oh, How I see. You... So if you're actually, but then it's the same thing with any with any kind of payment. You know, like if there are plenty of companies, they're receiving, a, they're offering a product or a service. And so pers the person who's the customer, they have to look them up. They have to look up the company. Is this a real company? Am I really getting my product? It's once again about trust and reputation. It all comes back to the trust and reputation of the, in this instance, of the business. Like, are they actually really offering a real service, a real product, and the customer needs to look it up, and then they'll send you their payment, whether it be in dollars or pesos or fiat or in crypto. If they've sent it in crypto, it's the same. They have to make some they have to somehow get the payment over to them. And it's just another way of doing it. It's really just like so they just they, they have to see your wallet. In this you basically just share your wallet as the payment method. And they send it. It's just like they send it to a bank account. They send it to your digital your, your Bitcoin wallet or your Ethereum wallet. And then it, it tracks it and says, beep, sent. Just like that. And then you go, oh. and then you can even, did you get that? Or send them anymore? And they say, yes, I got it. Thank you. And then you can have the, the, the product. It's as simple as that. <laughs> okay. This brings like a lot of things that I'm going to leave for another episode because then we can talk about contracts and like the blockchain contracts and all of these things that cannot be replicated too. It's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I just I just want to go back a little bit to to band royalty and uh, Monday this Monday, like it's going to be like the official launch. For... Actually, we're, we're kicking it off. We're kicking it off on the fifth of May. The, the official launch happens on the fifth of May, which is in just um, a little bit over a week. And so, um, so in, in we're, we're in a pre-launch at the moment, so people can come and register. They can find out about. It. They can go to the website bandroyalty.com. Uh, they can put their, their email address in, and they can be informed. They can join our Telegram group where everybody's asking questions, and and there is an opportunity now in this um, in this pre pre-launch that they could actually even participate. But I recommend they just go to the website and register and and go to the Telegram, and uh, they can ask questions. And we'd love everybody. They can get to the link. The link of the Telegram is in the page. It is. It's on the it's on the page just here. <laughs> on the website. <laughs> Which is upside uh turned around for me. <laughs> I yeah. see it. I see it. Mock it it la your band. That D N A B. No, I, I, really? Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> But it's bandroyalty.com. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And Barnaby, you um, as an individual, where do you see yourself in 
five years. Oh, interesting. Let's dream um, together. Let's envision huh? together. I don't like the word dream so much. Uh, so in five years, I see, um, I just, I guess I've been seeing my life keep expanding in many positive directions. And so it keeps on basically, I just see myself actually helping more people around the world in, in innovative um, projects and bringing um, more more freedom, more empowerment. Um, and I see that coming into my life. I see that happening increasingly every year. And I just want to participate in that. So I'm just very excited around, um, I, I do hope that the world opens up more with travel because that's one of the things I, I dearly love and I miss that. So I hope that in five years time, I'm traveling again around the world. And um, um, so there's, I guess I sort of, I, I in some ways I'm just, I'm very passionate about the work that I do. And so a lot of my imaginings and passion uh, sits around um, the realization of these, uh, of these visions. And, um, and I also, I, I love writing. So I've got some books I'm working on. I just, I'm, I'm seeing myself launching more projects, um, more creative endeavors, uh, assisting more people. And, uh, that's, that's what I'm excited about. Do you want to share us a little bit about other projects that you're working currently on? Um, yeah, so I've also got, um, as you mentioned, that's a gold project. So that's it's called Clean Gold. And it's, uh, I guess, um, it's also got real world assets. It's got real gold and it's connected up with a mining company out of Western Australia. And um, that's why it's called Clean Gold is it's, it doesn't use any uh, harmful chemicals in the process. So it's an amazing product. And most people don't even know actually that gold does actually have a harmful effect in the mining process on the environment. And so, and now there's, tech, there's again, a technological innovation that basically can make it clean, And that's very exciting because that could have a – because there's even a lot of communities where the mining happens, where there's a lot of um, runoff and uh, some of the people people involved can actually get sick from the process. So we really need to clean up that industry. I mean, there's so many industries that need to be cleaned up, um, and that's one of them. And um, people, everybody pretty much loves gold, and so but they don't know that it needs cleaning up. And here's a way for them to participate, and it's on the blockchain. So they can actually get gold and use it as a digital asset and clean up the environment at the same time. So it's, it's a win for the environment. It's a win for the, the owner because now they've got some gold and now it's a digital asset so they can spend it and share it. It's, it's amazing. So that's, that's very exciting as well. Uh, okay, and that's one of them. And do you have any others? I think that's, that's probably enough because there's, there are, yes, that's, that's a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. Okay, so to wrap it up, I want to ask you, like, whenever everything seems to go wrong, uh, what's the thoughts uh, you think to solve uh, those challenges? Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, well, I, I guess I, um, I know that everything changes. And so that even if things are going wrong, I don't really typically even look at things as, as a wrong because uh, things are happening. And I have a plan and I'm working on my plan. And so things don't go according to the plan. Uh, it's hard not to have a plan. Um, but, but, you know, because there's always some, some – we're making efforts. But every day we do some stuff. And if things don't work out, well, I, I trust, actually. I have a lot of trust that I can turn it around. I know that um, – I, I don't know how long it'll take, but I know that um, if I just examine uh, what happened there, like what, what did I do that could be improved next time, then I know that there are some uh, steps to take because I, I know that I'll probably confront a similar situation and hopefully I'll have learned. So it's really like this. I have a confidence, a lot of confidence that uh, I, will have, I will learn from this to then make a, a better choice next time. And, and even trusting in that maybe – I'm trusting even in the, the wrong thing, as you said, 
that there's something there for me to learn. It's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. What is there to learn here? It's like it's like a puzzle. So I see that actually it's quite exciting for me. It's like, oh, there's something to learn here. Yeah, completely. And I, I just want to mention, because he brought me up the K of quotes, the king of quotes. Ah. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. So there are, there are, I, I do, I do work on quite a few projects. You, yeah, right. I know. So. For the audience, I'm so sorry. Just Barnaby has so many things to talk about, and it's, it's amazing. So <laughs> I, I hope we get another chance to talk with him. That's. Um, I think mm-hmm, you can. So you King can. of Quotes, it's a, it's again, it's an NFT project. So it's a project I've been working on for a couple of years, and I'm very passionate about it because it's. Uh, but it is different from the others. So I often don't like to mix everything because it can appear like uh, a lot of. Uh, it's an educational game, and so it's a game that's educational, and uh, people get to learn about history and politics while playing a game and playing with NFTs, so they get to earn and play with crypto while learning about history and politics, while having fun, because it's a card game where you guess who said the quote. It's a simple game where you pick up a quote and you have to guess who said it, and um And that's going to be that's launching very very soon as well. Um, so I actually had that that one's all, all done. It's just it's being and it's actually even been launched. Um, at the moment, see with this innovation around crypto and the the market, how things are growing at the moment. I see that um, 2021 as a as a lot of opportunity for people and for these projects I'm working on. So I'm basically the things I've been working on for the last while, sometimes one or two years. I'm pushing them to market right now because a lot of the things in life is to do with timing. We have to know when to make something and when to launch it. And in my industry, with the blockchain, this is the time to launch things. Yeah, completely. I think this last phrase was a very good tip for all of us. And I guess it comes back to patience, uh, which is using also all of our abilities continuously to actually thrive. Uh, and I see this resilience in you. I, I wish this resilience for everyone. You know, this patience is something that I've been working uh, continuously uh, during my life. And I do appreciate your presence so much in this existence. Thank you so much, Barnaby, for sharing your time with us, for your smile, your knowledge, and for... <laughs> your patience. Thank you so much. Great. It's been uh, great to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Barnaby, really. I'm so honored. Mm, thank you. Thanks, everyone. It's been a great talk. And um, I'm sure everybody's got something from this. So I, I have to. It's, it's a lot of fun to share all this. So thank you and have a fabulous day. Thank you so much. This is I Induce the Real Estate Sustainable Living Podcast. I am your host, Diana Llanos, and we are Hub Kamal. Ciao.